Welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. My name is Mackenzie Britton. I am the producer for the podcast and your temporary host while Pastor Joe is on vacation. This week at Bothell, we welcome the Reverend Elizabeth Schindler, who reads to us from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Reverend Schindler challenges us on how we can change the world for the gospel and in our own communities. Check it out now on Bothell Amplified. Good morning, church. <clears throat> my, my name is Alan Jacobson, and today we start our summer sermon series, and I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, which contain the closing words of Jesus to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Holy words for God's people. There is a phenomenon that I am well familiar with in which you get so excited about something special that when it's over, you go into kind of a slump. And this happens a lot at Christmas, maybe on Christmas Day even, after all the gifts are unwrapped and the family has gone home or Perhaps it even happens with young people during summer break when the gift of the break has started to wear off and it looks like a monotony of days with not much to do and your mom keeps suggesting that you go read a book or help clean the house. You might be in a slump, a little down, in need of a pep talk. And this time of year in the church can feel the same way. We've just come through a long period of excitement that began way back around Thanksgiving with Advent and Christmas when we got twinkle lights and our favorite carols. And then shortly after Christmas, we were in Lent, which took us straight to Easter and the pomp and circumstance and the joy of resurrection. And we got to celebrate that for a good long while. And then just last week, the church celebrated Pentecost and the advent of the Spirit descending on all flesh, the birthday of the church. But now, it's another six months until anything else exciting happens in the life of the church. And that can feel like a long time. And I wonder if that doesn't make this passage from Matthew's gospel even more appropriate for today, because I think the disciples were probably in an even bigger slump than we are. They had spent a year at least caught up in Jesus's teaching. He had given them the authority already to cast out demons and heal the sick and provide for crowds of people in need. They'd traveled around with him thinking that he would be the one to save them from the empire of Rome before he was killed by the authorities. And the women came to them and said Jesus had been raised, that there was an earthquake and they saw an angel, and that Jesus himself appeared to them. But the men didn't see any of that. 
with their own eyes. And what's more, but the Gospel of Matthew tells us that the disciples were about to be accused of a hoax, that people were saying they had stolen the body of Jesus, that that was the explanation for the empty tomb. It had to all feel like an incredible letdown, like everything they'd hoped for was over. So if anybody needed a pep talk, it was these guys. They did have enough faith, though, to do what the women told them to do. Smart guys. And they went off to Galilee, off the beaten path, to the place where Jesus' ministry had started. On a mountain that maybe reminded them of Mount Sinai, where Moses met with God. Or the mount on which Jesus gave his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew. And there, Jesus came near in all his resurrection glory, and gave them what we know as the Great Commission, one of the most famous paragraphs in all of Scripture, when Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so now I tell you, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them everything, and I'll be with you. And it's a beautiful scene, but there's also some cognitive dissonance here. Because Jesus is making huge claims about authority and telling these guys to go out and evangelize everyone on the earth. But nothing about the setting seems to support what he's saying. It feels a little like when you are at a game and your team is down by an insurmountable margin and the time is running out, but there's that one guy in the stands that starts chanting, I believe that we will win. And you kind of want to join in, but really you're just thinking, I don't think we will. I mean, if Jesus had been speaking to vast multitudes on this mountain, if there were followers stretched out as far as the eye could see, if the Morbin Tabernacle Choir had been humming the Hallelujah Chorus in the background, maybe. But Jesus is standing on an unnamed mountain in backwater Galilee with a congregation of 11, down from 12 the week before. And even some of them are doubtful and not sure why they've come. And it's in that setting that Jesus says, you 11 there, take the good news to all the people of the earth. It's as absurd as him saying, go now and establish world peace and clean up the environment and develop a cure for cancer while you're at it. It feels ridiculous. I mean, how on earth is this ragtag group supposed to provide an alternative to the empire of power and domination and teach people about love and justice when there's only 11 of them and they have as much doubt as they have faith? And for that matter, who are we to receive this commission? when we aren't always sure either. How can we change the world 
for the gospel. And maybe that's the point. That the task Jesus gives these 11 and the task Jesus gives to us is impossible if it's just us. If it's just our power, our authority, our knowledge, our faith. It's an impossible task without the authority that Jesus has. All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. That authority that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with in the temptation. That he spent his life refusing. Jesus gives all that authority to the disciples and to us. The Great Commission is an impossible task without the strength and mercy of God who shares all of that strength with us. And it's an authority different from what we're used to. An authority that doesn't demand submission and exclusion, but one that liberates and includes an authority that's self-giving and generous, like God. It's an authority that says the disciples and we can now do everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, but with a greater reach. We can keep the mission going and take it even farther. And if that's not enough... Jesus says that ours is a God who is so invested in us that God promises to be with us always. And when we hear to the, to the end of days or, or however it's translated, we might think of this kind of cosmic end of the universe thing, but the actual translation here is all the days, meaning all days, every day, day in and day out, God is with us. Jesus, the one who came as a child, Emmanuel, God with us, is still here. It's fascinating, too, that in this incredible scene on the mountaintop, everyone gets the same commission. They get the same job, no matter how much faith they have, no, ma how, no matter how much doubt they have. And we may wonder if it's smart on Jesus' part to give so much power to folks who don't necessarily have things worked out yet. But the job Jesus gives us in the Great Commission isn't actually one that requires having everything figured out. Praise God. We may originally read this passage and think, oh, you know, I can't really go out and teach people about Jesus because I can't explain all the intricacies of Christian doctrine and I don't know the Bible as well as some other people and I'm just not the best one to do this. Or we might read this passage and get an image in our minds of the people standing on busy street corners downtown, each one armed with their own personal megaphone and some tall posters that say things like repent or burn. And we're pretty sure that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. But Jesus doesn't actually tell the disciples to go out and preach 
interesting. Nor does he tell them to go out and explain Christianity. He tells them to go out and make more disciples. And it's important to note that in Matthew's gospel especially, discipleship isn't about orthodox doctrine as much as it's about liberating practice. It isn't about having all your beliefs absolutely indisputable. It isn't about drawing lines to make sure it's clear who belongs and who doesn't. In Matthew's gospel, discipleship is about obedience to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. It's about a single-minded commitment to the way of love, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to go out and distribute information until people believe it. He commissions them to a kind of behavior that teaches another way to live, an alternative to the oppressive games of empire. And that actually makes perfect sense. Think about if you've ever been an apprentice or an intern. Or if you've been struggling to learn something and someone has used too many words to try to explain it and it doesn't make any sense. And then they come and show you what it looks like. And everything clicks into place. I volunteer a good bit with youth sports, and I see this all the time. A coach can tell a player how to swing a bat or catch a fly ball, but until they see it, they won't be able to do it. In my own life, I thought for a long time there was no way I could be the pastor of a church. I couldn't stand up and preach every Sunday. And then I got an internship with leaders who showed me how and gave me the courage to try. And that's what Jesus is asking for in the Great Commission. He doesn't say, please figure out your faith, get a solid footing on the doctrine of the Trinity, and be able to explain the difference between the world's major religions and memorize some big chunks of Scripture, make sure you can pray eloquently, and then ask other people if they can do the same thing, and if they can, baptize them and welcome them into the fold. No. He says, go out and show everybody what it looks like to live a life of love and justice, of reconciliation and forgiveness. Do your best with the faith you have. I know you have doubts too, and that's okay. Just get out there and live what I've taught you. And anyone who wants to be a part of it, Invite them into the community. Initiate them into life. Immerse them into the whole life of God. Because that's what this is about. A relational God giving God's self to you day by day by day and you sharing that with the world, with all people, no matter what. And then he says, don't worry, I'll be there. You don't have to do it alone. 
Friends, in his resurrection, Jesus initiated a whole new creation. He started bringing the world from the rule of death and corruption, greed and wickedness into a community governed by love. And he's still doing that work. Obviously, there is still plenty of work to do. And for reasons beyond our understanding, Jesus chooses to do it through us, whether or not we think that's a good idea. So what if we all summoned up just as much faith as those 11 doubting ragtag disciples when they'd gathered together on an unnamed mountain in backwater Galilee and took the authority given by the risen Christ to show the world how to live? What if each person here, what if each of you took that authority even this summer while your pastor is away and took it upon yourselves to show this community what discipleship looks like, not to convince them that you're right, but to demonstrate a life of obedience to the one who came that we might all have life abundant. If we ever doubt the power of a small group of people to change the world, we can just go back to Matthew 28, to that mountain in Galilee, and look at 11 doubters who believed just enough in the power of God that they shared the life of love until it found its way all around the world and even to this room. So consider this your pep talk for the summer. And let's get out there and get to work loving like Jesus. Amen.